This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. I am Audrey Dove. Welcome to Brand and New. Europe has been experiencing political turmoil over the last few years, from the Catalonia referendum on independence to the Brexit vote. Brexit is the abbreviation for British exit, referring to the United Kingdom's decision in a June 2016 referendum to leave the European Union. And no surprise, Brexit is expected to have consequences on the intellectual property of UK companies from many standpoints. Legal, of course, marketing, social, economic, IP rights-intensive industries contribute to more than 35% of the GDP in the UK. My guest today, Tim Moss, has been the CEO of the UK Intellectual Property Office, the IPO, since May 2017. He was previously head of Companies House, the UK Registrar of Companies. Tim is at the forefront of the changes occurred by Brexit and will share his views on its consequences for the IP world. Named by Managing IP Magazine as one of the top 50 most influential people in IP in the world, his analysis of the main challenges faced by the IP world and how to overcome them shall also be eye-opening. Tim, thanks for accepting our invitation. You're welcome, Audrey. Nice to be here. Tim, you've been advising now for over two years ministers on all IP policy matters. What did you take from your previous experience as head of Companies House, where you were involved in topics such as digitization and business strategy? A number of things I've brought from my experience at Companies House and previous experience in, in private industry as well before that. One of the main things is to remember who the customer is or who the customers are. And certainly at Companies House, a real focus on how we serve our customers. But remember, actually, that you often have a range of customers. So at Companies House, we had those people who were filing information and who were directors of companies, but you also had people who accessed the information. So I think it was to remember to uh, always try and keep things in balance and uh, not allow one particular grouping to, to dominate over another. So that was one thing. Secondly, I think it was the, the power and the, uh, and the real urgency to focus on digital transformation and move things from a sort of very much a paper world um, to one where we're, we're focusing on how we can deliver excellent public services to customers um, using digital tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the other thing was Companies House is my first time in public service and working for the government mm-hmm. and really understanding sort of the real ethos about public service, the fact that you're not necessarily, uh, the driver is not profit, um, but actually it's about how can we provide really excellent services to our customers. You know, government mm-hmm. should never be second best um, and we should ensure that citizens and businesses have really first class public services. Uh, one of the really important lessons I learned was that the big challenge for government is you have to deal with 100% of the customers 100% of the time. Um, you don't have a choice. You're there to, to follow the law. So you don't choose who you deal with, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't then aim to give an excellent service to, to all those customers. What do you consider as your main challenges, you, apart from the uh, Brexit, of course? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. it later. <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about Brexit later, uh, and that has hugely dominated the agenda at the UK IPO in the entire time I've, I've been here, and will continue to do so for, for some time forward. But I think other than Brexit, one of the, the biggest challenges is around how we go through digital transformation. There is so much in the IP world, but also the way that we provide our services at the UK IPO, uh, which needs to improve. We have a, you know, a good reputation with our customers, but some of our services and some of our systems uh, lag behind what people would expect in their everyday life. And so right the way across our, our, our digital rights, 
Um, we want to improve our services. And recently we've had a major uh, new service around renewals of rights, which allows people to renew any right in a much more streamlined manner and re dramatically reduces the time taken to do that renewal. So digital transformation is really key and will be the biggest thing that we do post-Brexit. And our aim is to replace all our rights-based services over the next uh, three or so years. Yeah, apart from that, the other big challenges, I think, is there's an exciting one for the organisation in terms of how we really realise the potential that we've got here. I think the UK RPO is a fantastic organisation, but it can do so much more. And I think it's also making sure that we're focused on not just on IP, but actually why we have IP and the UK mm -hmm. IPO's role in terms of the, the wider agenda around uh, innovation and creativity. And I think making sure that we, we actually get that message out into wider business and society as a whole, that uh, IP is not some technical issue. Actually, it's fundamental to just about every aspect of life. How do you educate the, the consumers, the general public? Uh, we, well, we have a, a very wide range of outreach that we do currently with everything from children at the age of as, as young as sort of five and six, right the way through the whole education set up into colleges, universities and to business uh, as well. Uh, we also do wider campaigns with the public, uh, especially in the area of uh, enforcement of rights and ensuring that, that people respect IP but also understand you know, the benefits that IP bring. And I think that's a, a really big challenge for the UK IPO and for the IP profession as a whole and other offices is going forward, how do we actually take IP and, and almost move away from the word intellectual, which sometimes people see as a bit elitist and separate. And when you think about it, just about everything that makes life easier, safer, better, more enjoyable, more prosperous, it has IP at the heart of it. Make the perfect transition to my next question, actually. <laughs> the UK <laughs> I, IP office motto is making life better through IP, according to uh, your current five-year strategic plan. What is the part of innovation uh, from artificial intelligence to 3D printing in such strategy? What does that mean in practice? Yeah, the purpose of IP is to uh, incentivize and, and encourage innovation and creativity. So part of it is the purpose of why we exist. It's there to actually help countries and businesses to be innovative, be creative, and for people to you know, get the rewards for you know, taking a risk and doing new stuff and investing their time, their skills, their energy. So it's the heart of uh, uh, the office. But I think your, your, your point around innovation and especially around AI has a huge role and will have a massive impact on IP offices, I think the IP profession, um, but also the IP system going forward. There's no doubt that there will be many AI tools that are, that are currently being developed for use by IP offices, whether that's to improve image searching of trademarks or classifications of, of patents or, or, or translation services. These are things that are being developed currently. But I think also we have to remember that AI is, is also starting to ask some big questions around the IP framework. Can a machine create something? Can it invent something? Could it automatically come up with some IP? And you know, that raises some big and important questions for the IP framework for the future and uh, is one of the big discussions that's been going on internationally amongst IP offices and with the World Intellectual Property Organization uh, and one where the UK is very much at the heart of that debate. Things mm -hmm. like 3D printing that you mentioned, Again, it's an area that we are following closely. It will potentially transform the way things are manufactured and delivered, but also has potential impact on the ease with which people may be able to develop counterfeit goods, but also will raise some questions around you know, how things are copied or infringed in the future. Could you tell us a little bit more about the recent key actions initiated to fight counterfeit and pirated products? Yes. So if I start maybe with the UK in terms of what we've been doing in the UK, uh, mm -hmm. As an office, we sponsor a dedicated police unit, the Police Intellectual Property Crime Unit, and we've recently increased resources to that unit, and they've recruited more officers, uh, and also work very closely with industry as well, and that's having a, an impact 
both in terms of the online space, but also counterfeit goods. Uh, and they spend broadly 50% of their time online uh, infringement uh, and uh, online crime uh, in the IP space and 50% uh, of it against counterfeit goods. We've also recently been working closely with our Borders and Customs Authority in the UK and are sponsoring some posts there to look at uh, and try to intercept counterfeit goods, especially in the, the sort of sector of sort of fast mail, um, again, linked to online retail and goods coming in, in in small batches into the UK. The other thing that the UK IPO has done for a number of years is it helps chair and, and coordinate something called the UK IP Crime Group, um, which is about 30 plus organisations, government ones, law enforcement, business, third sector, representative bodies, uh, to bring them together to discuss the issues around IP crime. Uh, recently, at its annual report, which details a lot of the great activities that have gone on in the UK in terms of trying to combat IP crime. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not just on the sort of enforcement front. The UK has also been leading the way on some sort of voluntary and sort of codes of conduct and worked very closely with some of the, uh, the big search engines and rights holders to uh, introduce a, a code of conduct around the availability of illegal material um, when people do a search on one of the big search engines. And uh, that was quite groundbreaking and uh, I think has been replicated in other places around the world. And we're working with other rights holders and platforms, social media companies, to look at actually how we can tackle the availability of counterfeit goods. Uh, and the last area that we've been doing a lot of work on is around trying to track customer behaviour and uh, public behaviour in terms of their propensity to look at infringing material and also to buy counterfeit goods. So we run annually an online copyright infringement tracker, and we've just done our ninth wave, and that really helps to plot trends over time to see what are some of the drivers as to why people are doing it. Uh, and we've just recently introduced one looking at the availability of physical goods in the UK, which again, I think is, is one of the first times that's been done. And underpinning that is trying to understand the behaviours that then uh, are the reasons behind why people might want to access and use counterfeit goods. And then mm -hmm. broader in internationally, we work very closely with a range of offices, both in terms of trying to tackle IP crime, but also to, to share good practice. So uh, recently, through our Tashi team in the ASEAN region, held a enforcement workshop in Manila with uh, representatives from offices all around the region, with representatives from our police intellectual property crime unit, the intelligence hub that we have here in the UK IPO, uh, and other specialists talk around how we can improve the fight against uh, counterfeit goods and improve uh, enforcement of IP. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. Now in the context of Brexit, in September 24, 2018, the UK government provided some answers by publishing a technical notice on IP rights in the UK, including trademarks. What are the main changes contemplated that our listeners should bear in mind? The biggest change that comes when the, the UK leaves the EU for trademark and registered community designs is that the current EU right, which covers 28 member states, will not cover the UK. So it will, in the future, will only cover 27 um, member states and that right in its current format would not cover the UK. So the biggest change that uh, the UK government and the UK IPO in our role as part of that has been is to ensure that when the UK leaves the EU, we will automatically create a new UK right which mirrors the European right. That is done automatically at no cost. And so our sort of underlying principle is how can we ensure that we give maximum certainty with minimum disruption to business? So there will be no loss of rights, but somebody who currently has a European trademark will end up with a European trademark covering 27 member states and a UK trademark that covers the UK. 
So we'll have two rights uh, rather than the one they've, they've currently got. But we've even also made it easy for people to uh, have their new number for that right. So all that we will be doing is adding a UK prefix to their European trademark number. So it will have UK009 as the prefix ahead of the current number. So it's very, very easy for people to know what their new right will be and to have certainty around it. So that's the biggest change that's gone on. It's a huge operation here at the UK IPO because overnight we will be creating over 2 million new rights at the point the UK leaves EU. Um, there are other changes, but they are of a, a lesser nature in terms of volume and impact. But there are some technical things around some of the cross-border copyright areas and also some changes we had to make to ensure that the current supplementary protection certificate for pharmaceuticals and agrochemicals works uh, when the UK leaves the EU. I would like to have your views on, let's say, the long term. Uh, the effects of Brexit on IP may result costly in resources for UK brands with the need to fully review their trademark portfolio, potential parallel filings and renewals for EU and UK trademarks, respectively, and increased fees. Some may also need to assess and revisit their licensing agreements and marketing strategies. Are there other challenges to consider for UK and foreign companies operating in the UK? And what are your views regarding the support the UK IP office could bring to businesses through this transition? Yes, going forward, um, when the UK is, is out of the EU, businesses, whether it be UK businesses or European ones or, or international ones, should you know, review what's right for their business. And yes, currently, somebody who has a trademark that covers you know, 28 member states should review, do they need that trademark? in the UK, uh, uh, as well as across Europe. I'm sure a large proportion of them will do because of the importance of the UK market, but that would be good business practice to review as with any major change, what's the impact on your business and actually have you got rights that meet the needs of your business. And that goes for, for all aspects of it. And I think Brexit is a huge change and you know, IP is just one aspect of the things that uh, any business will have to consider. Of course. What we're trying to do though is make it as simple as possible, make the advice that we provide as clear as possible and that we really understand how things look like from a business perspective. Yes, going forward, there will be some additional costs, but again, we're looking to keep those to a minimum. So if in the future someone wants to apply for a new right, they will have to apply both to the UK office and to the EU IPO to get coverage right the way across the region. And any existing rights that they have that become a new UK right, an EU 27 right, um, there will be two renewal fees that will need to be paid to ensure that right can, continues going forward. But you know, one of the things we've tried to do in the UK is to make sure that the fees that we charge certainly offer value for money, but also are at the lower end, I think, of, of many international comparisons. Again, minimising the burden on business, which is a, a key driver for uh, the UK government and the UK RPO. The, the changes that I've outlined are the ones that we're planning for in the terms of a no-deal Brexit. So it, it, you know, the fact that the current EU right will not exist in the UK and the, the creation of a new UK right is the plans and the way that business need to understand that will happen in a no-deal Brexit. In terms of a deal, that will depend on the terms of the deal. There will be further advice once we know the details of any negotiated deal between the UK government and the EU and what the impact would be on the whole range of IP rights. So that will be maybe for a future podcast. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Tim. Uh, now I have a few rapid-fire questions for you. Whose brain would you like to have had, and why? Oh, there's, the, there's so many brains I would like to have that would be better than mine. Um, <laughs> one, one that springs to mind is the, the UK uh, comedian Stephen Fry, because he has a, an amazing brain um, and also has a fantastic way with words. And uh, that's one of the things I admire, that people who have a, a great grasp of the English language and a huge knowledge around a range of subjects 
and able to talk about anything. Uh, so he's certainly somebody that would be up there and one of the people that I would admire. But there are so many. You know, I'm, I'm always amazed at the, some of the, the brain power that exists. And especially in this organisation that I represent, where I've got a, a lot of very, very bright and very clever people. And uh, I, I would often like to have their brains and really understand some complex things, which I, I certainly don't. Where do you take inspiration from? Ah, again, a whole range of things. Um, predominantly, though, I think it's, it's often the people you meet and the stories that people have and the experiences that, that go on. So uh, I'll give you an example. Maybe yesterday we had uh, was World Mental Health Day and at the UK IPO we've done a lot of work trying to help and support people and make sure that it's more normal to talk about mental health issues. And uh, we have a, a great setup here and uh, we've had a number of members of staff who have shared their own stories around their mental health and mental illness. Uh, that never fails to bring absolute inspiration to me in terms of what they deal with, how they cope, and also their courage and willingness to talk about what are often very difficult circumstances and very personal ones. So I think it, it's often you know, the unsung heroes that you, you take inspiration from. And I said, I know we've got a number of those at the UK IPO. What is the next big brand and new thing for you? I think one of the, the, the next big things, and it's really with us now, is just the sheer impact that uh, all the technology associated with artificial intelligence will bring. Uh, it will have a profound impact on the office here, but I think we'll also have a profound impact on our lives more generally. We're starting to see that already, you know, and I think we're only sort of touching the, the, sort of the, the edges of this and it will have a, a really significant impact on so many aspects of, uh, of our lives. So I think that's one, and I think that probably the, the second one for me, which really coming to light, is the climate emergency and the real need for everyone to really think really strategically about you know, what their impact we have on the environment and the, uh, the need for us to, to think about what will happen if we don't change for our future generation. The last book you read? The last book I read was when I was on holiday a couple of weeks ago uh, in, in Vietnam, and uh, I have a policy that before I go on holiday, I just go to the local charity shop and, and pick up a cheap book and, uh, and read it. So I have to confess, I can't even remember the title. It was a, a fiction book, uh, and it was a sort of holiday forgettable literature, but it was good fun, and it just helps me relax. So I can't give you the detail, but that's what I do when I go on holiday, is just try and relax. What would you have liked to invent or create? This is a, a tough one. Uh, for me, I'd love to invent you know, a life-changing drug, something that has a real impact on somebody's lives you know, and that you know is, is life-changing. So I think that would have to be one. Um, I, I can't think of a particular example, but there are so many. And the other bit for me would be in terms of the create, I've always wanted to be musical and I'm not. And so the ability to sort of really just understand and be creative with music and uh, that would be something I would love to do. So to be a, a great composer or musician or, or singer, because um, that's just not me. Thank you, team. Thank you. My guest today was Tim Moss, the CEO of the UK Intellectual Property Office. Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover Brand and New. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www dot inta dot org.